Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, virtually every time we plant an aquascape, it seems like one of the most major components of the composition is wood. And it's been that way in the hobby for years. This is not like some new revelation, right? Sure, you see some rock-based scapes like Iwagumi themes and so forth, but if you ask most aquarists, they tend to tell you that the basis for almost any great aquascape has to be wood of some sort. And it makes sense. Wood adds a sense of color, texture, and depth to any aquascape. It literally makes or breaks it in many cases, doesn't it? A good part of the aquarium practice is the use of various types of wood. Hobbyists have actively sought out and used all sorts of wood for use in aquascaping pretty much as long as the hobby's been around. And why not? It creates these beautiful, useful scapes that provide a great home for our fishes and they, you know, delight our aesthetic sensibilities, all that good stuff. And of course, branches and twigs and other tree parts are ubiquitous in the wild environments of the world. And many of you are pretty incredible at scaping with this stuff. So collectively, we've developed some extreme talent for creating fantastic designs with all sorts of wood. However, there's more to this stuff than just the good looks, right? Of course there is. There's a functional benefit that is beautiful, if not more so, I would say as beautiful, if not more so, than just the aesthetics themselves. Let's focus for a bit on the ecological role that tree branches, trunks, and other wood play in the wild aquatic ecosystems of the world. Doing this not only helps give, you, give us you know, some context as to how they function, but to what impact they have on the overall aquatic habitat. And this is extremely helpful when we decide to play with wood in our aquariums. Now, one observation I made over the years is that most of the wood that we use seems to be more of the branchy type, as opposed to pieces reminiscent of, say, a big tree trunk or a very large branch, as you might often find in nature. We'll get back to that in a second, but put that in your head. Now, in nature, it's not uncommon at all for small and even large trees to fall in, you know, in the rainforest when that punishing rain and saturated ground work together to easily knock over anything that's not substantially rooted. When these trees fall over, they often fall into areas that either are or become small streams. Or in the case of the Varzea or Igapo environments in the Amazon, you know, the ones I'm obsessed with, they fall and are ultimately submerged in the inundated forest floor when the waters accumulate and return. And of course, they immediately impact their now aquatic environment, fulfilling several functions. Fallen trees provide a physical barrier or separation from the currents, uh, when they accumulate leaves, sediments, and detritus, all, all these are important food sources to a huge number of aquatic organisms. They also provide a substrate for algae and biofilms to multiply on and providing places for fishes you know, to forage among and hide in. Many fishes, like small cichlids, will reproduce and raise their fry amongst these fallen tree trunks. An entire community of aquatic life forms uses a fallen tree for many purposes, and the tree trunks, branches, and other parts of the tree will last for many, many years, fulfilling this important role in the aquatic ecosystems they now reside in each time the waters return. So let's focus on this ecological component for just a bit. Shortly after falling into the water, fungi and other microorganisms act to colonize the surfaces and biofilms populate the bark and the exposed surface of the tree. Over time, the tree will impart, in turn, many chemical substances, humic acids, tannins, and sugars into the waters. The fallen tree can literally bring new life to the water. I can't stress enough how interesting and important this transformation of the terrestrial environment to the aquatic one is. It helps explain so much of why the aquatic habitats look and function the way they do and how the impact of the life forms uh, which make use of them uh, affects the overall environment. 
The materials that comprise the tree are known in ecology as allochthonous materials, something imported into an ecosystem from outside of it. In this case, when they fall into the water, they're coming from outside the water. Extra points, by the way, if you can pronounce that word uh, on the first try. I still mess it up along with every scientific name of a fish that I talk about, as we know. Uh, Anyway, we've talked about this stuff for a while, haven't we? Yeah, we have. And of course, in the case of fallen trees, this includes leaves, fruits, and seed pods that fall or are washed into the water along with the branches and the trunks that topple into the stream uh, or forest floor that becomes uh, submerged. These materials are known uh, to ecologists as coarse particulate organic matter. And in the waters of these inundated forest floors, there's a lot of coarse particulate organic matter. And the community of aquatic organisms, typically the aforementioned aquatic insects and crustaceans, has a high proportion of what are called shredders, which feed upon the, we'll call it CPOM, that's a sexy way of saying it, and break it up into tinier pieces called, wait for it, fine particulate organic matter. A great name, very purposeful, I like that. And of course, some fishes like larger kerosens, catfishes, etc., consume the fallen fruits and seeds as part of their diet as well. And they sort of aid in the refinement of the CPOM as well as helping spread the undigested seeds through the forest floor ready to sprout when the waters recede. So as they eat these things, pass them through their digestive systems and poop them out wherever they go, which is what fish do, as you know, they're actually helping spread the trees. I find that fascinating. And now, of course, other organisms make use of all the fine particulate matter by filtering it from the water or accessing it uh, in the sediments that result. Again, these allochthonous materials support a diverse food chain that's almost entirely based on our old friend, gets what, detritus. Yeah, that detritus. The stuff of nightmares for many dyed-in-the-wool hobbyists. The stuff of dreams for many hungry fishes who consume it and the associated fauna you know, within it. It's incredibly important to aquatic organisms, so much that I can't even begin to stress it enough. And although the forest floor receives substantially less sunlight than open rivers, the nutrients available... Uh, and, and light are utilized by algae, which may colonize the surfaces facing up to the sun. And of course, many fishes make use of these algal films as a food source. Are you sensing a theme here? Absolutely. Fallen submerged trees are of enormous importance as a provider, facilitator, and accumulator of food for the aquatic organisms. Now, we see similar results in our aquariums, right? What I call undefended surfaces. That's a reef term, but basically a rock or something that doesn't have a coral on it. But an undefended surface in the aquarium that's not covered by something else that's growing are colonized by these algal patinas and biofilm growths. And they may look a bit unconventional to many, of course, but their appearance belies their elegance and beauty as really what are indispensable components of a complex aquatic ecosystem. And of course, the tree, like almost anything that's submerged, will gradually decompose itself over long periods of time. This process is actively exploited by aquatic life forms at all levels. You know, hollowed out sections will be inhabited by fishes, and exploited for the shelter that they offer. And of course, the aforementioned crustaceans and insects, you know, will utilize the tree and its constituent materials in various ways. And as for the fish population, it's long been known by ecologists that fish movement, species richness, diversity, and population density are directly affected by the physical and biological influences of fallen trees. And the deep beds of leaves that sort of are corralled by fallen trees, a sort of natural dam, play a hugely important role in determining what fishes you know, live in these microhabitats. Deep accumulations of leaves, as we discussed before, will definitely limit some fish species, which cannot tolerate the lower oxygen concentrations found in these areas. Yet, they'll attract others who make use of the life forms living on the surface layers of the leaves. Again, there's a lot of resource partitioning that goes on in these habitats. It's fascinating. 
Other fishes take part, uh, take advantage of that physical barrier that a fallen tree, you know, presents to shelter from predatory species. And many adaptations have taken place over eons to allow fishes to exploit these changes to their environment caused by fallen trees, part of their behavioral process. It's pretty fascinating stuff, all of which has implication for us as aquarists who want to replicate these natural habitats to the most realistic degree possible. So, as aquarium hobbyists, what does this all mean to us? How can we employ the lessons learned from fallen trees in nature? What can we do to mimic this? Well, for one thing, I think it's a call for us to consider employing some bigger, thicker pieces of wood in our tanks. Now, sure, I can hear the groans already. I mean, big, heavy wood has some disadvantages in the aquarium. First, the damn things are, well, big. They take up a lot of physical space, and in our case, precious water volume. And they're likely not as sexy as those awful bonsai trees that are regrettably becoming popular again. And of course, a big, heavy piece of wood is kind of pricey, usually and physically cumbersome for some of us and it displaces a lot of water again as i said when you put it in the tank you have to fill it empty and there's a lot of things that you have to think about now although wild habitats are filled with big old tree trunks stumps and branches it seems just begging to be recreated in aquariums we tend to hesitate there are many scapers who would make the case that you can't make big gnarly pieces of wood work in an aquarium because of their impact on ratio and proportion etc you know the artistic part and to these types, I gently admonish you to check out the works of some talented scapers, like our friend Mitch Missouri, a.k.a. aficionado, who's been doing some amazing uh, work and have made that now famous mental shift to work with nature in artistic interpretations. These pleased and, you know, look at what he did sort of arguments are almost a prerequisite of late when I talk about any idea that has an aesthetic component to it, because the self-appointed guardians of aquascaping style seem to come out of the woodwork, no pun intended, Uh, After these discussions, reciting dozens of well-rehearsed reasons why the concept won't work and that even trying to do something, you know, rather than even trying to do something similar, they just want to shoot the idea down. It's weird. To that, of course, I call bullshit. Yeah, a big piece of wood or a dense aggregation of smaller pieces in the aquarium does create some challenges, but most of them are in our head. I mean, hell, Takashi Amano himself did a few amazing tanks with huge pieces of wood, you know, many years ago, remember? And of course, when we utilize a large piece of wood relative to the aquarium's water volume, it has a chemical and physical impact on the aquatic environment that's, hey, sort of similar to what occurs in nature, right? Yeah. Now, on a purely practical level, let's think about the very practices we employ when utilizing wood in our aquariums, and it starts with the preparation process. When you first submerge wood, there's a lot of dirt from the atmosphere and the surrounding environment that comes off along with tannins, lignin, and all sorts of other stuff from the exterior surfaces and all of those nooks and crannies that we you know, love so much. And of course, there's the tannins. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm always sadistically kind of amused by the frantic posts on aquascaping forums from hobbyists, uh, you know, that their water's turning brown after adding a piece of driftwood. I mean, when will it pass? And I think to myself after I kind of laugh, because it's just, it's just mean, I get it but I find it funny. I, you know, I'm thinking, what's the big idea? And then I realize, oh yeah, not everybody likes this stuff. I forgot. But you know, it is kind of funny. The reality is you've probably surmised is that driftwood will continue to leach tannins pretty much for as long as it's submerged. As a tinter, we're enthusiast of black water. I see this as a great advantage to helping establish and maintain that look and to continue to impart those humic substances that have been proven to be very beneficial for fish health. It's a unique aesthetic, of course, And when it comes to preparation, I'm more concerned with those impurities, the trap dirt and such contained within the wood. As you probably know, that's why I've been such a staunch advocate of the overly conservative boil and soak approach to the preparation of botanicals, too. A lot of material gets bound up in the dermal layer of a tree where the wood comes from. The bulk of the dry mass of the xylem, the network within the tree which transports water and soluble mineral nutrients from the roots throughout the plant, 
and comprises what we know of as wood, is cellulose, which is a polysaccharide, and most of the remainder is lignin, which is a sort of complex polymer. Okay, so why the mini, you know, botany lesson filled with lots of jargon? Well, because when you have some idea of what you're putting into your tank, you'll better understand why it behaves the way it does when it's submerged. And in a given piece of driftwood, there's likely going to be some material bound up in these structures, and it will be released gradually or otherwise into the water that surrounds it, with a big burst happening on the initial submersion. That's why during the first couple of weeks after you submerge wood, the water often becomes dark and even cloudy and kind of creepy looking. There's just a lot of stuff in there. Now, it's far better, in my opinion, to take the time to start the curing process of getting this stuff out in a separate container apart from the display aquarium. This is not rocket science. It's not some wisdom that only the enlightened uh, aquarists obtain and that only Tenon Aquatics exclusively gives you. Everybody knows this. It's common sense, and it's a practice we all need to simply view as necessary with terrestrial materials like wood and botanicals. You may love the tenons as much as I do, but trust me, your tank could do without the polysaccharides and all the other impurities from the outer layers of the wood. The potential effects on water quality are significant. Um, let's think about this, though. Here's a natural corollary. It's pretty plain to see that at least part of the reason why we see a burst of new algae growth and biofilm uh, in wood recently added to an aquarium is that there's so much stuff bound up in it. Algal and fungal spores can literally bloom during the initial period of, after submergent. And that's exactly what happens in the wild aquatic habitats of the world when tree trunks and branches get covered by water. Now, on the other hand, the adventurous aquarist in me can't help but wonder if we should just give the wood a thorough washing and let this whole process play out in the aquariums to sort of foster this amazing biodiversity within the aquarium itself. Again, it's an example of setting the aquariums up from the start to replicate both the form and function of nature. I've actually done this many times. A confession, uh, as those of you who followed some of my home aquarium work, when I redid my, uh, my aquarium that I keep in my, my living room, which uh, is covered with, it has a big dense uh, uh, aggregation of mangrove wood, I didn't prep this stuff. I literally just gave it a rinse, put it in the water, and you know, biofilms be damned, let all that stuff accumulate. And yeah, the water was dark as hell because it leached this stuff out over time. But in the end, it played out pretty well, and the fishes were none the worse for wear, and I was slow and patient in my monitoring, and I accepted it, and it performs a very natural role. And yeah, it's going to look different. You'll see a lot more biofilm when you do this, a lot more fungal growth, you'll see detritus, perhaps even slightly hazy water. You have to carefully monitor the nitrogen cycle and manage the nutrient accumulations with good husbandry. But it is absolutely functional. It's absolutely possible to do this. It's absolutely against the grain of what every book will tell you, what every experienced aquarist will tell you, because it puts bioload into your tank. Your tank has to process it. You can't just dump fishes in there from day one. You can't just, you know, walk away from the tank, not do water changes. You have to actively manage a tank, especially when you're doing something like this. But if my thing is you blast away as much of the surface dirt as you can, the visible surface dirt, get the, get the, the you know, wood submerged, <clears throat> you may have to weigh it down, you're starting that process in the tank. It's a way, 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 way slower way to start a tank than having something that's pre-sunk, ready to go, clean and whatever. But it's also a way more natural thing because you mimic on some results, uh, on some levels, that natural process that occurs, you know, in the wild habitats. So think of the interesting results of this incredible patience that you can do. Now, at the very least, if you're going to make some of these kind of interesting mental shifts, try a fairly large piece of aquatic wood or several small pieces aggregated to form one large piece sometimes. I think you might find this sort of arrangement fascinating to play with, regardless of whether you prep it in the display or in a separate container. You know, arrange the wood in such a way as to break up the tank space and give the impression that it simply fell in naturally. 
Let it create those barriers for fishes to swim into and disrupt the water flow patterns. Allow it to cultivate fungal growth and biofilms on its surfaces and allow small pockets where leaves, botanicals, and substrate materials and detritus can collect. Pre-populate the system if you want with food organisms like Daphnia, Gamorous, and stuff like that weeks or even months before you add the fishes. Enjoy the biofilms and add a select population of fishes that can exploit the variety of new habitats that a fallen tree creates. Another idea... Have an existing aquarium with just leaves or some, or some kind of enriched substrate and let it function for a few months. Then add a, a carefully selected piece of wood, just like what would happen in nature. See how the fishes react. See the impact on the environment. Again, there's some scary things to think about because you can have an influx of biological, uh, you know, biological demand on the tank. You have to manage that. But these are all sorts of active management things that you can do that would be fascinating. So yeah. Trying what made it appear to be a big, somewhat awkward piece of wood or group of wood pieces, filling much of the tank can be a challenge to our aesthetic sensibilities at first. Having all that biofilm and all that stuff happen in the tank is something that we're not used to. But guess what? You'll get over it when you simply enjoy the setup for what it represents, not for a typical aquascape. And when you populate the tank correctly with fishes and, and organisms that can utilize this interesting set of ecological niches within the tank, you'll realize that conventional aquascaping as we know it is not the only way. Yeah, hobbyists have been throwing big old pieces of wood into tanks for decades. However, I don't think we've played, let it played out in a manner that was specifically intended to replicate the functional aspects of, of them. That is, we haven't really thought through the idea of big gnarly tree trunks in our tanks as functioning not only as an aesthetic component, but more important as an ecosystem which supports not only an abundance of life, but provides a tremendously interesting study and adaptation and the resourcefulness of nature. Perhaps these aggregations are a freshwater version of a coral reef filled with multiple ecological niches and organisms and functions. Oh, and they look cool too. Yeah, I know we've covered a fair amount of territory here today, and I think it's good to look at multiple aspects of what seems like a straightforward topic, but we as aquarists need to think beyond the idea of just utilizing wood in our aquariums as a piece of aquascaping. We need to think of it as a literal bringer of life in both in the natural habitats and in the aquarium. It's another mental shift we can make and a pretty easy one actually. So make it, go for it. So yeah, a tree may fall in the forest and an entire ecosystem arises. An awful lot of good stuff starts happening underneath the water. This is a really important thing for us to grasp. Stay curious, stay observant, stay creative, stay inspired, stay thoughtful. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint. Mm-hmm.